0: We are in a message series here on Sunday morning from the New Testament book, The Acts of the Apostles. The message series is called Spirit, Mission, and Drama. And today we'll, we will be in Acts chapter 14, but we're going to start somewhere else in the New Testament. So let's start in another New Testament book. It's the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is the letter written by Paul and Timothy to the believers in the city of Colossae. Look, if you've ever read Colossians, you know this. If not, I invite you to read it later today. It's one of my favorite New Testament books. It has an unbelievable poetic introduction. I'm telling you, the first chapter is just Amazing to read that these two guys, Paul and Timothy, make an incredible writing team. And when you read Colossians chapter one, the language just soars off of the page. There is so much intentionality to every sentence and every word. You've heard this that you could read it again and again and again, and you could always find something new and something brilliant. I want to draw your attention, though. To one specific sentence, one specific verse in this introduction, and it's Colossians chapter 1 verse 6. Let's read this together. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now, Paul and Timothy, this incredible writing duo, used two specific words, two adjectives, to describe the impact of the gospel among the Colossians. There's no surprise here. You can pick it out. Here they are. The first is bearing fruit. That's a phrase in the English language. In the Greek language, the original language of Paul, it's one word. And the second word is growing. Now, why did they use two words? Pretty simple. Number one, because One word wasn't enough, and number two, because these two words are completely different words. And I want you to remember what I said just a a minute or so ago, that the authors of this letter used intentional words. The letter of the Colossians, it wasn't a text message in the middle of the night there's no thumb tapping shortcut words, removing all the vowels. There's no emojis here. This is specific. It's specific. These two guys thought about the words before they wrote them. Let's take a look at them. The first word, again, it's a phrase in the English language, but in the original language, it's one word, bearing fruit. Again, it's intentional. And it was written in the original language of this letter in what is known as the middle Voice The middle voice. Now, that's just a fancy grammatical way of saying that Paul and Timothy believed the gospel itself bore fruit. That the gospel performs this action. Let's, let's use some scientific terms here. The gospel, according to Paul and Timothy, has potential energy. Potential energy. It has stored energy energy. It's the energy of position. By itself, all by itself, it has power. It doesn't need to be transferred or shared to reveal its power. It's not affected by outside forces. In other words, it's not going to change. It is the solid statement that God has an interest in our hearts, in the hearts of his creation. He has an interest in our salvation. In fact, Paul said this Elsewhere, He said this in Romans chapter 1, where he wrote that the gospel, you remember this, is God's power to save. The gospel has potential energy. It bears fruit all on its own. That's the first adjective. Here's the second adjective, because Paul and Timothy didn't stop there. They further described the gospel as growing. Now, left alone, this is a rather surprising statement because how does, how does the gospel grow? How does it grow? Well, again, we don't see their intent very well in our language, in the English language, because again, they wrote it in the Greek language and they wrote it with specificity and intentionality. So, whereas the phrase or the word bearing fruit was written in the middle voice that, that the gospel has power all on its own, the word growing is written in the passive voice voice, in the passive voice. Now, that's just a fancy grammatical way of saying that the gospel doesn't grow on its own. It actually requires an outside force to grow. It requires people. Again, in scientific terms, people, capable people, reliable witnesses, convert the gospels Potential energy into kinetic energy. It converts it into the energy of motion from the energy of position. Now, this is worth a pause right here because Paul and Timothy believed something quite scandalous, if not qualified, that the gospel's growth, that its impact is not due to its message alone. It requires, the gospel requires partnership with people. It requires a partnership with effective witnesses. In fact, if you have your Bibles still open, you'll see this in Colossians chapter 1 verse 7. Paul and Timothy mention the name of this capable, reliable witness to the Colossians. But here's a plot twist here in Colossians chapter 1 verse 6. The gospel's kinetic energy is not just localized. Let's look again. It's global. Let's read this. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Throughout the whole world, the gospel's kinetic energy is exponentially multiplied. In other words, the impact of the gospel cannot be qualified with a 1 plus 1 equals 2 equation. The impact of the gospel can only be qualified with a 1 plus 1 equals 3 equation. Don't mistake this, and don't miss this. Paul is describing an absolute miracle here. These explosive results cannot be explained any other way. In other words, these two variables, the variable of the gospel and the variable of the believer produces an outcome that is greater than the sum of its parts. The gospel plus the believer is synergy. It's synergy. Synergy. This is Paul's equation. So what we're going to do in Acts chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. What we're going to do is we're going to put this equation to the test. Let's read this together. We're going to read Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Now at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way. Remember, reliable. Capable witnesses. They spoke in such a way way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Hold on to that statement. Verse 2 But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas remained for a long time. They had to, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and to stone them, to kill them. Verse 6, they were going to kill them, by the way. Don't miss that. Verse 6, they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lycaonia, into the surrounding country. Verse 7, the last verse, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, remember the equation from Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, that the gospel plus a capable believer equals synergy. Now, we're going to put this to the test right here in what is otherwise a really Spartan text, but there's a lot happening. I don't want you to miss it. Let's talk about this. So Paul and Barnabas, in the book of Acts, are now in their first church planting trip. And Paul and Barnabas walk squarely into the anxieties of time and place and space. Iconium, where they are in Acts 14, the first few verses, it's a garden city in the desert, It's one of the cities in the region of Galatia. We'll talk about that in just a moment. It, Iconium, like the other cities in this region, in fact, like a lot of the cities in Rome, were full of people who were forced to move in these cities by the Roman Empire. That influx of people radically reshaped these communities. Identities of entire people groups had been lost. People lived in these cities and in Iconium in a weird, cosmopolitan state of confusion. And all the more so in Iconium. Iconium was a Greek-flavored, Greek-cultured city in the Roman Empire. It was a fish out of water, and it was going to do whatever it had to do to keep the Roman Empire at arm's length. And we just saw this here, that in Iconium, the politics of identity They were ready to explode. And Paul and Barnabas, they weren't neutral when they arrived here. In their hands, with their words, they converted the potential energy of the gospel into kinetic energy, into synergy. The message that Jesus of Nazareth died and was resurrected to bring people to God. Even more than that, that you and I need this. That message alone is potent. It has potential energy. And we see this in Iconium. It also is very incendiary, especially in a place that's already teetering on the edge. So we find, after putting this equation to the test, we find that the results of this equation... We find them here in this text that the equation that capable believers convert the gospel from potential energy to kinetic energy actually gives us two two very solid and very predictable outcomes. Let's take a look at these. The first is belief. Profound, miraculous belief. Let's read this from Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium... Paul and Barnabas entered together into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number, here's the phrase again, of both Jews and Greeks believed. They believed, they believed. This is no small statement. The message, the message brought to this city by Paul and Barnabas was a message of unity. Not just any message. It was a message of unity because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was a message of unity in a place already divided. Now, you're probably looking in Acts chapter 14 to see where that is. You're not going to find it there. It's not written there in Acts. It doesn't say that at all. We know this was their message from Paul's follow-up letter to Iconium. We have this letter in our New Testament. It's the New Testament book of Galatians. This was Paul's follow-up letter to Iconium and the cities of and Antioch, and Lystra, and Derbe, all in this region of Galatia. We know when we read the letter of Galatians the content of Paul's message in Iconium. I want you to listen to what he wrote. This is from Galatians chapter 3. This is a famous passage, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Remember that phrase? Listen to this, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's that phrase again. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. People in Iconium believed that message. They believed it. That Jews and non-Jewish people, that Jews and Greeks, two different people with two different cultures, two groups of people really culturally at odds with each other, could be united, that these two groups could be united, all experiencing baptism, all accepting that God appointed Jesus of Nazareth as their Savior. This is amazing. It's absolutely amazing that these two groups of people in a city on the edge could come together in Jesus. Now, we see parodies of this message today. We see the encouragement of unity because of a flag, or a country, or political party, or policies, or politics. You and I are bombarded with charismatic people and charismatic speeches. We live in a surround sound environment of cries for unity, yet We seemingly live in a nation that has never been more divided than what it is. In other words, unity is not easy, nor is it forced. You can't force this. You and I, we are living this firsthand. That the gospel in the hands of Paul and Barnabas can bring disparate peoples together in harmony is miraculous. It's miraculous. There is nothing else like this in the history of the world. So, the first outcome of our equation of the energy of the gospel and its witnesses is belief. That's the first outcome. And it's predictable. You and I know this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6 said as much, but there's, there's, another, there's another predictable outcome. And this one is fear. It's fear. Let's look again at the text. We're going to start in verse 2 we're going to read the rest of this from Acts 14. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders done by their hands. Look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, with the city government, to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and to kill them, these two guys learned of it and fled, and there they continued to preach the gospel. To the Jewish people there, who were faithful to their culture and to their law, and in fact, the other groups of people, the other cultures, who were faithful to their culture. Paul and Barnabas and the gospel were fear-provoking insurgents. Because Paul and Barnabas and the gospel, with the gospel message, threatened to reshape Jewish culture and all the other cultures and rob people of their identity. That's the point of the gospel. In fact, the threat was so real that it actually spurned a more serious unity in Iconium. Jewish people rallied with Gentiles to crush this message. Sworn cultural enemies created an alliance to maintain their status quo. And they used all the weapons they had at their disposal. They used manipulation. And deception and violence. And get this, even the miracles of the Lord Jesus performed through the hands of Paul and Barnabas were not enough to stop this. Because the city, Iconium, and the groups there were afraid of losing their identities. Again, people lived in this weird, cosmopolitan state of confusion. Whatever it was that made them them would not be surrendered easily. Listen, you know, that's not too much of a stretch to understand. Moral demand is its own threatening force. And if we're honest, many of us are status quo citizens of Iconium. Many of us have created our own social environments, and we've adjusted moral demands to match what we think we're capable of. Like these citizens of Iconium, we've allowed sin to structure our personalities. We've allowed sin to give shape to our habits. We've allowed sin to determine our identities. Many of us have refused, even today, to break the bonds of self-loyalty. And you know what we do? We lash out because we are afraid of the difference that the gospel makes in our life. We are afraid of surrendering Whatever ground of identity we fought to maintain. So here today, you know, the same choice that Paul and Barnabas gave to Iconium, given it to us. It's here for us. Two choices. Believe or continue to live in fear. Believing in the Lord Jesus Gives birth to a miraculous change in your life. This is the result of the power of the gospel, of its potential and its kinetic energy. But living in fear of this change, it will only continue to lead you down a path of despair with unthinkable consequences. Let's reevaluate this equation again. This equation from Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. This equation that the gospel in the hands of capable believers is synergy. And let's test it from a different angle. And let's ask this question. What is it about Paul and Barnabas that made the gospel grow? In other words why does the gospel require capable reliable people it turns out that Paul actually has a thing for reliable people i want you to listen to his instruction to Timothy from the last letter of his life this is from 2 Timothy chapter 2 listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy you then my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, look at this phrase, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Reliable people, people you can trust. It's obvious that Paul trusted Timothy. Timothy was a reliable witness. Timothy traveled with Paul and Silas planting churches In Greece, he accompanied Paul to Corinth and to Ephesus and to Jerusalem, and he saw Paul go to jail for the sake of the gospel. In all, Timothy was Paul's traveling companion and student and disciple for 10 years. For a decade, Timothy heard Paul's teaching, and he witnessed a transformed Paul. He noticed that Paul was a reliable witness. He knew it, and Paul knew it. Paul felt the miraculous change of belief in his own life, and he wasn't willing to let this gospel be placed in the hands of the window shoppers and the Amazon scrollers. I want you to listen to Paul's personal testimony near the end of his life, written also to Timothy. This is from 1 Timothy, and it's from chapter 1. Look at this amazing verse amazing statement. Paul wrote, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and look at this phrase and a violent man I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus the gospel in Paul's hands with his words was not a hollow message it was not stuck in its potential energy it was transferred and converted into a message that saw people in cities like Iconium believe or lash out in fear because of its power. And the good news for you today is that you, you can become an integral and effective part of Paul's equation. You can become a reliable witness. You can transfer the potential energy of the gospel into kinetic energy. And you can experience the miraculous synergy of this with the Lord Jesus at your back. This is your Iconium moment. This is the moment where you become a variable of the equation and not not just the outcome. Abandon the sin in your life. Experience the upgrade that happens with the gospel. Repent and believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus and become a part of this equation. Let me invite our prayer leader to come up this morning and pray over us. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And as we pray together in just a moment, I pray that we experience the power of the gospel together.